as a ghost, as a ghost, as scary. <laughs> what? We're going to talk about the Holy Ghost. That's the first thing that I hear is you screaming. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome everybody to Walk With Him. My name is Elder Blacker, and here, as always, we welcome everyone who's looking to improve their life through Jesus Christ. My name is Mitchell Redmond, and here we're going to be discussing a variety of topics and doctrine relating to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There's a lot to learn from his ministry, and our mission is to help you make the best decisions from the example of Jesus Christ. Life's never perfect, but you know what? That's okay, because Jesus Christ is our perfect example. So, enjoy walking with him. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. If that's not a chaotic intro, I don't know what is. Do you now want to go into yes, explaining? We're, we're okay. starting. Well, for those of you who probably got your eardrums blasted out by a deck and screaming, <laughs> this is the last episode in our Gospel of Jesus Christ mini-series. We're going to be talking about covenants, what they are. And how they help us to return to our Heavenly Father. The first thing that I want to do is explain what an ordinance is. Because we're talking about baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, or a confirmation is another word for that. And those are both ordinances, right? I don't know exactly if there's different contexts in other branches of Christianity. But when we talk about ordinances, we're basically talking about... There's a definition of preach my gospel that I like where it says a sacred act or ceremony performed by the authority of the priesthood. Some ordinances like baptism are essential to our salvation. So, and basically all, or maybe even all ordinances are very symbolic, right? Yeah. Like baptism, the, the thing that baptism is a sacred act is kind of odd, right? Like why? Taken at face value, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you've heard that before where it's like, yeah, I'm sure Jesus will love me whether I get dunked in water or not, right? And it's like, mm. yes, but you're missing the point of it. Yeah. The whole point is it's a symbolic act of us taking upon ourselves Christ. Yeah. Name, right? And I mean, Christ was baptized for a reason, right? Like, yeah. Matthew goes into that even. Which, side note, I didn't really get a lot of people saying, like, doesn't matter where I've been dunked in water or not. Because when they say baptism, I just think the majority of the population that I talked to at least had that idea of, like, yeah, I was baptized when I entered the church or when I was born. But I think you're right about the that they don't understand quite the symbolism behind it, right? Right. And, I mean, baptism's the one where we probably talk about the symbolism the most. Yeah. Um, which is pretty cool. But there is symbolism in, I think, all of them. And when I was a missionary, I learned actually quite a lot about the symbolism of the ordinances that you partake in after baptism. So one thing that I'd like to do is I'd like to read the story of Christ being baptized from Matthew 3. So it's only five verses. Um, so this is Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. And then I want to break down what happened here, right? Yeah. It says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. 
But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So, kind of to explain what happened there, kind of like what John was thinking, yeah. is because John is baptizing after the manner that he knows how, right? He's baptizing the best to his knowledge, but he also knows that Christ is going to come and give us all that's necessary for baptism, right? He's going to yeah. perfect the ordinance of baptism. And so when Christ come to him and he's like, hey, John, please baptize me. John is a little confused, like, huh? <laughs> but, but you're the one who's going to do this, right? Like, why, why are you getting baptized? And Christ's answer is interesting. It says, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. So basically, he told John, this needs be. In order for me to obtain all righteousness, this is something I need to do. And I think that's confirmed when the voice from the heavens says, this is my beloved son in whom I am now, in whom I am well pleased, right? Yeah. Because if it wasn't something that was necessary, that's an odd time for God to just be like, yeah, look at this, right? Yeah. It's, I feel like we gloss over the importance of baptism in those verses. We kind of talk about it as if Christ didn't need to be baptized. And I don't know if that's right. Yeah. In order for him to fulfill all righteousness, like it says, he had to be baptized. That's according to Christ's words, at least. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know how more direct. Well, I guess I do know because we have the Book of Mormon that explains why that happened. But he's like, and in the footnote under suffer it to be so, it just says like permit it. So just like right. this, like you said, this needs to happen to fulfill all righteousness. If Jesus Christ is the perfect example, then he needs to do everything perfectly. He needs to essentially follow through with all the necessary ordinances and everything that God had established before he had come, which is why it also mentions a lot, especially in the Book of Mormon, of that he came to fulfill the law of Moses and then to establish his new law, which... I think it's referred to as like the law of God. I've seen a couple times. Huh, I don't think I've seen that, but that's cool. Because when Jesus Christ got resurrected, he didn't establish everything perfectly. There were still bits and pieces that even the apostles were, were still practicing, right? In that one vision of Peter, Acts 10, it starts talking about Cornelius, right? Where he was the centurion of the Italian band. And so he sees a vision of God and he's like kind of afraid. And he's like, what is it, Lord? Because, I mean, a lot of the times it's interesting when uh, angels appear to them, everyone, their first reaction is just kind of like, oh, crap, what did I do? You know, but he's like, send men to Joppa. This is verse five and call for one Simon whose surname is Peter. 
And Cornelius is like, okay. And before that, Peter saw a vision. This is going in verse 11. And saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherefore were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowl of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And verse 15, The voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So the whole point I was trying to make is that they were still eating kosher, I think is the term. Like they were, they didn't eat any pork or anything. But if you keep reading in Acts and eventually all the letters that Peter writes, you see slowly how each facet of the law of Moses is being changed over and being established by these new laws that, Jesus had set up all the way to in the latter days with DNC, literally just overturning all of that with the restoration. So that was kind of my point slash tangent, but I feel like it's kind of important if you, especially if you see that change happen in the early church when Jesus had, was just crucified and resurrected. And then you see that again with the restored church. And I'm sure we'll get into that later as we, continue to talk about um, covenants and kind of how it's continued to change even after Christ has gone, right? How, like you were saying, Paul was continuing to correct the church and how that's grown over time. Yeah. And so kind of going back more to the, the story of Jesus when he was baptized, there's a really great ver- scripture in Second Nephi, and I mean, I think we've read a whole ton of scriptures in Second Nephi. They're so good. I know. It's just like the entire doctrine of Christ is right here. It's because in Second Nephi, he actually quotes a lot from Isaiah. Like twenty chapters are. Is it that many? Wow. It's all. It really is like twenty or fifteen chapters. Hmm. of quotes from Isaiah. But what's interesting is that they're not direct quotes, which either they're quoting from maybe knowledge that had been passed down, or maybe they have more reliable scrolls at the time. I don't know. I'm not. But no, it's true. Because above those chapters, it says compare to Isaiah, yeah. this chapter or that chapter, right? And that's a good way to put it because there are differences but if you have them side by side you're like hmm, this is more or less the same thing yeah so in chapter 31 nephi the prophet whose name is on these chapters he's explaining this very story about why jesus christ needed to be baptized and so it starts in verse 5 in second nephi first second nephi chapter 31 verse 5 And now if the Lamb of God, he being holy, should have need to be baptized of water to fulfill all righteousness, oh, then how much more need have we, being unholy, to be baptized, yea, even by water? 
And now I would ask of you, my beloved brethren, wherein the Lamb of God did fulfill all righteousness and being baptized by water. Know ye not that he was holy, but notwithstanding he being holy, he showeth unto the children of men that according to the flesh he humble himself before the Father and witnesseth unto the Father that he would be obedient unto him in keeping his commandments. Wherefore, after he was baptized with water, the Holy Ghost descended upon him in the form of of a dove. So I think that just really gives a lot more clarification to being like, if you're thinking about baptism in the traditional sense, where it's like to rid ourselves of transgression, then there would have been no point for him to do it. But then it goes on verse nine actually says again, it showeth unto the children of men, the straightness of the path and the narrowness of the gate by which they should enter, he having set the example before them. So, clearly it was necessary, otherwise he wouldn't have done it. But it's also a example that he was giving to us. And verse 7 specifically talks about another part of baptism, where it says, witness unto the Father that he would be obedient unto him in keeping his commandments. So, talking about the covenant aspect of it, where he's like, making a promise in that moment that he's going to be obedient. Right. And verse seven right there sums up all really well. Yeah. Like why we get baptized, like what we're telling our heavenly father when we get baptized. And I think one thing that verse seven mentions is it mentioned humility, like that Christ humbled himself before the father. And I think that's an interesting thing because a lot of times Pride gets in the way of what we're doing, right? You just and, read Alma and you just see the cycle go over and over and over <laughs> again. Yeah. I'm in Alma. I've in, seen it like four times. I'm just like... With the Israelites too. Why do you not get it? Well, I, I think really it's s- like generation to generation, right? It's kind of like each generation learned the same lesson. And it's I like, know, but it's just like... Fair enough. If you just look at what happened to your father's... And your father's fathers. It's just like, anyway, but I I don't think we can really judge them too much because we can mess I up again. I touched the hot stove, <laughs> even though my parents touched the hot stove and their parents touched the hot stove. Right? <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, the humility is a really interesting part of that because as soon as you're like, okay, cool, I can do this myself. I don't need anyone to tell tell me what to do or to lead me and I got this and I need no help. And then quickly after you're like, ah, my way doesn't work very well. Or you persist and you keep trying to, my way works just fine. Yep. And then it doesn't. Can I tell a kind of a dumb story, but I think that most of my family will get a kick out of this because they bother me about it to no end. So we were fishing a long time ago. This was maybe 2020, I want to say. That wasn't that long ago. Well, it felt like a long time ago, all right? Okay, I thought you were going to tell a story about like when you were 9 or 10 or something. Anyhow, continue. Regardless of how I preface this, (laughs) we were fishing and we, we had gotten all our poles, all our lures and stuff, and we put it on... Onto the, they had those little like squishy green pellet things, like kind of the fish food stuff 
or you just that was what you were using as bait yeah like okay. the yeah manufactured stuff anyway so they all put that on their little hook but i didn't want to i'm just like this is dumb i don't need this and my mom's like yeah you do i'm just like no no i don't my dad's like yeah it would probably help you i'm just like no <laughs> i don't want to so i went Which, to be fair like from your point of view like if you look at just like what you're talking about like this green squishy thing Right, it's like, yeah, which that's, that's exactly good, that's exactly what I thought. Like it's just stupid green squishy thing. I'm just like, the crap is this? They're not gonna eat this. I'm just like, no, I don't want this. <laughs> and so I just go over to a pool and I just fish with nothing on my. It's just the, the bear hook. <laughs> There's nothing on it, and I'm just like sitting there and I was like, yeah, this is gonna work. <laughs> Guess what? It didn't. What? <laughs> the fish didn't want a nice juicy hook. No, <laughs> even after my family came over and was like, how you doing? I'm just like, good, good. It's coming. And it's like, you know, I'm just like, no. <laughs> and so I think Marco and Mason caught a fish that day. Maddox almost did, but it like just bit the little thing and didn't actually hook onto the hook. I got nothing. Hmm. I stood there for a while. I'm just like, yeah, this will be fine. Didn't work. To this day, they still <laughs> bring that up. I'm just like, all right, fine. I basically learned the exact same thing that every single pride cycle example that's in Alma and the entire Book of Mormon and the Bible is that your way doesn't always work. Yeah. So. The interesting thing about that is like, the humility aspect of it is us accepting that we're going to do something that we don't necessarily want because we recognize that that's... Or see the point in. Right. That's fair. You didn't want to waste your time putting on this green blob, <laughs> right? Yeah. I realize that's not what it is, but I think it's funny to call it that. And like keeping God's commandments is kind of the same way where it's like, you want me to pray? Like, mm -hmm. how's that going to help? I don't understand. Like, I'm just going to wish and it's going to happen <laughs> or it's going to help me, like, through whatever I'm doing. And it's like, yes, that's what you're going to do. You have to humble yourself to get down on your knees or to spend some time reading the words of Christ. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting part of the covenant process is... Us submitting our will to the fathers, right? Yeah. And that's not possible without humility because the reality is our will and the father's will, at least while we're on the earth, most of the time is going to be very different. Yeah. It says in the scriptures, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We can't understand or we can't even begin to fathom the entire picture even though Technically, we kind of know the general guideline. Like We want here. the same outcome. Yes. And so that's why it's so interesting that we're like, ah, like you wanted to catch a fish and so did your family. Your family was like, yeah, we want you to catch a fish. But the two ways of doing it, our way or God's way, look totally different for some reason. Yeah. And it doesn't always make sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the definition of a covenant is a two-way agreement 
So you have God promising one thing, asking you to do one thing. And then you're like, all right, I'll do this and I'll follow. I'll agree to your terms and basically keep what you've told me to do. And then by this agreement, since both parties are upholding their side of it, then that's where we start to receive the blessings and we start to have a little bit easier road towards the same outcome that we both want, right? Right. Like he requires us to put the little green squishy thing on our hook and it's like, well, okay, fine. Did you end up putting it on the hook ever? No. <laughs> That's kind of funny. No, I didn't. I just went home and was like, <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> Why didn't it work? The other part of verse 7, though, is it just weighs, lays out right there and witnesses unto the Father that he would be obedient unto him and keeping his commandments, right? Yeah. And, I mean, as we've talked about before, basically that means, because we're obviously not going to be perfect, that means that that's going to be our goal. Right? Our goal is to keep the commandments according to God's law that he showed through Christ. Yeah. There's really a I think I've mentioned this a lot to a lot of people that I've talked to, is that you can avoid so much difficulty and so much heartache if you just follow what God has placed for us, follow this path, the straight and narrow path. Right. God, God tells us in the scriptures, he's like, hey— if you want to be happy, this is how you do it. Yeah. I must have read it like 10 times in the Book of Mormon in the entire time since I've been reading the words, inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. It's like in almost every single book that I've read so far. And it's just like, just say maybe not so subtle nudge. It's like, hey, there's a reason I have all of these commandments. It's helpful. Maybe you should try it. And maybe it takes us three or four or five or six times to get that. Or 70 times seven. Yep. I always liked that. Like, I wonder how Peter reacted to that. Was he like, okay, so carry the one. <laughs> and he, ah, and dang just, it. I have to forgive him this many more times. <laughs> and Jesus was like, no, that's not the point. <laughs> anyway. So... I kind of want to segue into another story in the Bible in John chapter 3. So this is where Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus about both types, both facets of baptism, right? And so this is a like a religious leader who studied all these books for, I imagine, most of his life. And then he's been teaching to all his like this is a guy who knows a lot of the prophets of old. Yes. And Jesus is teaching him something that he's never heard of and does not understand as we'll see. So um I'm just going to start in verse 3. Now I'll start in verse 2. The same came to Jesus by night talking about Nicodemus and said unto him, "Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God." For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Which, first of all, I just like the faith that he already had, that he wanted to talk to Jesus because he had heard these things. He had, I don't know that he's maybe witnessed the miracles. I don't remember exactly. I don't but think so, but I could be wrong. Regardless, he 
understands that this is someone that you should pay attention to. And so it goes on. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. (laughs) And this is the part where I like, where he's just like, does not understand at all. And Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, and verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus is just kind of confused. And verse nine, he's like, how can these things be? (laughs) And Jesus is like, art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? He's like, I thought I explained it, but maybe you're not getting it. And it just went way over Nicodemus' head. Yeah. Verse 12 If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So I feel kind of bad for Nicodemus because he's kind of laying into him. He's like, If you're not going to get the simple things that I've been trying to teach, how are you going to understand the broader doctrine? And so, which I'm sure there's a reason for that. Like Christ doesn't just lay into people just because, right? Like, right. I think it was necessary for Nicodemus because he had all this worldly knowledge in his head mm -hmm. and he, Jesus was trying to get through all that. And he's just like, no, you're not paying attention. Forget all of that and just listen to what I'm trying to say. Again, the pride thing, I feel like we think we know the plan and Jesus is like, no, you're not listening. You got to pay attention. I think because that's only the first half of this chapter where he's trying to get through Nicodemus and then, and then he goes on kind of explaining and he says probably one of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible. I imagine John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the most quoted scripture, like of all time. Is it? Yeah. Like you can go to basically anywhere and there'll be a John 3.16. Like, hmm. Which that's kind of cool because that's, I think the point Jesus was trying to make is that you may know how baptism is performed or you may think you know why and how it's performed. But when he's talking about born of the spirit, I think he's talking about, first of all, the testimony that we need to develop, like talking about faith and then the change we need to have. And so he's talking about how the whole purpose of these ordinances and the doctrine is that God is trying to provide us with a way back, regardless of all the rules and policies and everything that those different branches of Judaism had created, like the Sadducees, Pharisees, all them. And then verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten. And then I'll skip ahead at verse 21, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. And so I think it's said a little bit more clear in verses in the Book of Mormon, but it's like 
when you're baptized, you're taking upon yourself the name of Jesus Christ and then, but that's not it. You're with this faith and this promise that you've made, then you start doing these good deeds that it said, right? You're starting to work towards growing your own testimony and then helping others grow their own testimony by being charitable to other people, right? Right. And you know, one thing that's interesting is in um, the Book of Mormon, when Jesus Christ comes to the people of America, right? One of the very first things he does is he shows them how to do baptism, right? And I mean, verse 33 says, And whoso believeth in me and is baptized, the same shall be saved, and they are they who shall inherit the kingdom of God. So he, obviously, it's a very important thing to do. Yeah. He just shows up and he's like, hey, this is my doctrine. This is how you're going to baptize, and this is why. So he shows up. He calls up Nephi, who is there. And then verse 22, again the Lord called others, after he called Nephi, and said unto them likewise, and he gave them power to baptize. And he said unto them, On this wise shall ye baptize, and there should be no disputations among you. So, I think I already said this, but what's interesting is how when he showed up to the Americas, he's like, hey, this is how you do it. Like, very clear cut. Gives them the motions, how they do it, what exactly what they say, like, how we do it now is exactly what's written right here. Right. And it's not necessarily that he didn't do it in the Middle East, right? We just don't have record of it if he did. Yeah. Like, he very well could have, like, said to his apostles, like, hey, these are the words you use, and this is what's laid out in Third Nephi, right? Yeah. Um, But it's really cool that we have it in Third Nephi, and... I like that Christ, we can see the direct line of power to baptize. But the reason that that power is important is because it's only through that power that we're able to receive. Because like we mentioned a while ago, a covenant is a two-way promise. So we promise the Lord something, and in return, he promises us blessings, right? And... One of the biggest blessings that we receive from baptism is the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's only available through the power that Christ gives to Nephi there, right? Yeah. I think kind of going back to how they thought, because I'm thinking about it now and that there's different instances in the Bible where they kind of say different things as they're baptizing people. The premise of it is still the same, like the the overall arc of how they say it is still the same where it's like, I having authority given to me from God, baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. There's a verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 5, 4, and no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. So, I mean, that's another important facet of baptism is that not anyone can do it. You have to have the proper authority given to you by other people of the proper authority. So like you said, how you could see that line from from John to Jesus, which to be fair, Jesus didn't need to be baptized of John to get that authority. But anyway. He had the authority already. Yeah, he already had it. And so he came to Jerusalem. He gave that authority to the 12. 
Then you see it on the other side of the world in the Americas where he gives it to Nephi and his 12. And so it's really cool because we can, can't we see our, like our priesthood lineage? Yes. I don't know where, but that's a thing that we can do is like we can see how the priesthood has traveled through our families. I mean, all the policies in the world do not matter if you do not have this authority that was given to you by God or more accurately by someone who has the correct priesthood authority. Right. Which in turn is from God, right? Yeah. There's a verse I really like in DNC Doctrine and Covenants, another book of scripture that we use, um, that I really like because it outlines exactly kind of the quote unquote qualifications we need to be baptized. Not really qualifications though, but more of just like what we need to do on our part in order to be baptized. Right. right. It's not good to make a promise with God that you can't keep or you can't do your best to keep. Yeah. And that's what that's for is to make sure that, hey. Like you, you understand what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, you're understanding what you're doing and you're going to do your best to keep your side of the bargain. Yeah. If the verses in the Bible and Second Nephi 31 were not clear enough, I think this one basically outright outlines the whole thing. It says in D&C 2037, and again by way of commandment to the church concerning the manner of baptism. All those who humble themselves before God and desire to be baptized and come forth with broken hearts and contrite spirits and witness before the church that they have truly repented of all their sins and are willing to take upon them the name of Jesus Christ, having a determination to serve him to the end and truly manifest by their works that they have received of the spirit of Christ unto the remission of their sins shall be received by baptism into his church. So... Sounds like a lot, but it's basically everything we've just talked about, right? Like with repentance, humbling yourself before God with broken hearts and contrite spirits, having a determination to serve him to the end. So that's the promise you're making. Right. And so I use that, I use that scripture a lot because it just like, because there's a lot of questions when you interview like a convert or even just anyone in the church when they're getting ready to be, to be baptized. But I feel like this is just getting into the heart of what you're essentially promising before God and what you plan on doing on your end. Hey guys, thanks for listening to our episode. If you like what you hear and you want to get weekly updates with exclusive content and an inside look on missionary work, join our email list on our website. You can go to lumietmediate.com. That's L-U-M-I-E-T Media. Dot com. Just scroll down to the bottom and you'll see a little form where you can put in your name, put in your email. It's free. We don't need anything else from you. We're going to be giving you concise and actionable advice, takeaways from our episodes and lessons and experiences directly from the mission field. And so if that sounds interesting to you, just go to lumietmedia, L-U-M-I-E-T media.com. And we hope to help you a little bit more every week. Bye. As things tend to go when it comes to our Heavenly Father, we always tend to get the better side of the deal, quite frankly, right? <laughs> Christ's atonement, and it's like, hey, repent. It's like, yeah, okay, that sounds like the better part of the deal to me. <laughs> um, what we receive in turn is 
really awesome. And that's the gift of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. I think those are used. There's no difference between those, are there? No. Okay. Um, oh, what do, you, what do you mean? Like the gift of the Holy Spirit versus? Like Holy Ghost as opposed to Holy Spirit. That's oh, not a difference. No, there's no difference. It? Okay. Right. They it's just, just use it interchangeably. Different terms for different religions, I guess. Different yeah. sects of Christianity. Yeah. Anyhow, everybody can feel the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. But what's really cool when you're baptized is you have the ability for him to dwell with you. Yeah. Right. Basically, it's like, hey, like you have been deemed worthy to hold the spirit, right? Like the yeah. spirit will be comfortable in you and it will be there to help you as you go throughout your life trying to keep your part of the promise. There's a, I don't remember where it is, somewhere in the Bible where it's like a prophet's like, know ye not that you're the temple, like that ye are temples, essentially. Like he's talking about how our bodies are housing these spirits and then in order to keep our bodies in a fit enough condition for the Holy Spirit to dwell in is a really important aspect because you have things like the law of chastity or in the word of wisdom, which are meant to keep your body clean and healthy. And so that's giving an even better place for the Holy Spirit to stay, right? If your thoughts are and your deeds are all good and pure, then you have a really good place for the Holy Spirit to be and to guide you all throughout your life. Right. And honestly, I think more accurately, like rather than all of our thoughts are pure, it's we only act on the thoughts that appear, right? Like yeah. everybody's going to have a different range of good to bad thoughts, but everybody's yeah. going to have some good thoughts and everybody's going to have some bad thoughts. And it's what we choose to act on that's really important as to what or how we can feel the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost has many names. Like we call him the comforter. That's honestly like my favorite one is just the yeah. comfort because it really is like um, my mission president's wife, Sister Johnson, she told us a story about one of her kids where they were like, you know, I just needed a hug. And so I prayed that I could have a hug. Right. And that's kind of what I think of when I think of the Holy Ghost as a comforter. Right. As it's kind of just like a hug from God or yeah. Jesus Christ. I don't know if you agree with that or not. But no. Yeah. I like that a lot. There's so many different things that the Holy Spirit can do to give you comfort. In Moroni 10.5, by the Holy Spirit, you shall know the truth of all things. He's also the confirmer of truth, which yes. is when we're teaching a missionary lesson is the most important member in those discussions. If they don't feel that this is truth that they're hearing, they're not going to do anything. Right. And honestly, the Holy Ghost is like that aspect of it, of him being like a confirmer of truth, right? When I say that Jesus Christ is my savior, right? And you feel the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's because he's telling you it's true. Yeah. It's not going to be there for things that aren't true. Like if I were to say black licorice is tasty, you're not going to feel anything because it's not. Hey, <laughs> that was a poor example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It was more a shot at you for liking Bang. black licorice. But that like aspect too, right? is so 
much more important now than it ever has been. And I imagine it'll be more important as the years go on. I mean, President Nelson said it will not be possible in the coming days to survive spiritually without the Holy Ghost. He's not being subtle about it. He's like, look, if you don't have this confirmer of pure truth in a world that is filled with disinformation, you're going to get confused and lost in all the lies that you hear. Yeah, and we're bombarded with this disinformation, right? Right. It's never been easier to both get information, but then to receive information from questionable sources. Right. And in turn, it makes it hard to know what's real and what's not, right? Like, because there's so much false information, you, even when you find something that's true, you don't always know that it's true. Like, I don't know how many times I've seen a headline or heard something in a video, and I'm like, is that real? And I, like, (laughs) go and try and find more sources, right? Yeah. Because... Which is something everyone should be doing, first of all, just as, like, good practice. Like, just don't look at the headlines and just be like, oh, that probably happened. Yeah. And, like, honestly, as things continue to progress, like, with deep fakes and AI and all this stuff, right? Like, I think it's going to become even harder to understand what is truth and what is not, right? Right. And I just, I like the idea that the Holy Ghost... Anytime you feel the Holy Ghost, you can know that there's truth. Yeah. And whether that's in your thoughts or with what's being said, right? Yeah. Because even if you're just thinking about whatever true thing, right? Mm-hmm. And you feel the Holy Ghost, that can confirm to you that that's a good thing. There's a really good quote by Joseph Smith talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in baptism in I have this in Preach My Gospel. It says, Baptism by water is but half a baptism and is good for nothing without the other half. That is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There seems to be this common theme that when you go in the water and you come back up, that you have been cleaned of your sins. Like in a very literal sense, right? Right. But fairly recently, I found out a little bit of clarification that that's not the part that gets rid of all your sins. That's not the remission of your sins. No. The remission of sins comes with the Holy Ghost. Right. It's the necessary act that shows humility and a willingness to follow for you to then be cleansed. Right. And because I would hear this in like a lot of descriptions of baptism, maybe not in general conference talks, but like, How people, you know, they say that I felt all my sins leave me as I left, entered the water and exited the water, right? But, like, that's not really a very accurate picture of that. What they really would have felt is peace and probably forgiveness. Yeah. But then the remission of sins comes when you have the Holy Spirit bestowed upon you. Like, the way that they say it is the gift of the Holy Ghost. Like, they are giving you the Holy Ghost to stay with you. And so that's kind of an important distinction that I wanted to mention. Something that I'm pretty sure it's Jeffrey R. Holland where he says something about the Holy Ghost that I think is really cool, that if you have the Holy Ghost with you, that you will not make a wrong choice without first being warned. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. I don't know where it is either, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's so true, and it 
bugs me how often I ignore it. <laughs> Where it's like, ah, oh, made another wrong choice, and I felt that I shouldn't have done it. Like, like I knew. Where it warned you in doing something you shouldn't. Yeah. Like you always have that moment where you're like, oh, yeah. At least me, I feel like I always have a moment where it's like, okay, I'm at this point. If I continue, that's something I would need to repent of, right? Yeah. And I think it's really cool that that's there. As the flip side of that is that you can know that you're making good choices through the Holy Ghost too. Yeah. Right. Holy Ghost is just really cool. Yeah. He can comfort you. He helps you know what's truth. And he helps you know a good direction for your life. Right. And to me, that's definitely worth getting baptized for. Yeah, definitely. And I'm reminded of the, we already mentioned this, the conversion of a Catholic where he had felt the influence of the Holy Ghost when he was trying to search for truth, right? Yeah. But then every time he kind of backed away from it, like you said, he was kind of at that turning point where it was leading him one way, but then he decided to go another way, right? Right. And, I mean, the last part wasn't exactly subtle. He's just like, stay here and listen, (laughs) right, when he's in the chapel. Right. When he's just about to leave, and he's like, no, just stay there. Again, the repeated messages that need to get in our brains. I feel like repetition is necessary in a lot of different ways. Like, you sure you don't want to put the bait on your hook? Yep, I'm sure. (laughs) Then I'm like, huh, that didn't work. I think it was two hours where I was trying. (laughs) You tried with an empty hook for two hours? Yeah. I'm just like, if I just wait longer (laughs) it'll work but it didn't okay that's longer than i thought you were waiting no it was a good while (laughs) that's why i said they kept coming to me and like you sure you don't want to try you haven't caught anything i'm just like nah i just need to wait (laughs) they'll come eventually um going back to second nephi 31 after nephi is explaining the necessity of why christ needed to be baptized. So after all this, we've been baptized, received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 19 of 2 Nephi 31, Nephi asks, And now, my beloved brethren, after ye had gone into, after ye have gotten into the straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for ye had not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. And another one of the most quoted scriptures, at least in the Book of Mormon. Verse 20, Wherefore ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye ye shall press forward, feasting upon the words of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. So, I mean, we're not done. That's why we preface this by saying this is our first covenant. This is by no means the end. And as we'll probably talk a lot later, there are many more covenants that we have to make and many more 
promises that we make with God and many more blessings that he gives to us. Baptism is just the beginning of really a whole lot of blessings that he's going to be giving us. And that, that was my first initial reaction when I had gone through the temple for the first time, right, during the endowment. I'm just like, okay, I haven't even started, and already they've given all these blessings, and they've proclaimed all these promises and these prophecies that are going to happen. I'm just like, it was kind of, some of it went over my head, not going to lie, because it was a lot, but which yeah, is it's, expected because it's a ton. It's like 90 minutes of new and not it's like 90 minutes of information that you're getting thrown at at once yeah naturally you don't retain all of it right but the first impression that i remember is of just how many blessings they had said even before all the 90 minutes of information i'm just like whoa this is like a lot more than i thought you know and i like that they say that the endowment is a gift from god right yeah and I mean, we're using the endowment as kind of an example, right? It's of another a further covenant, but yeah, I like that it says it's a gift from God because if you look at the blessings, it really is a gift. Like I said earlier, we tend to get the better side of things when we make these, and I think covenants tend to be looked at as a I need to do more stuff. I need to like almost a burden, yeah, right? When in reality, it's a blessing, and I don't think we think of it as blessings i mean in matthew jesus is like come unto me all the that are heavy laden with the burdens of the world he's like take my yoke upon you which is easy right true he expects more responsibility from us but only because we've come this far and by making these covenants we're not just sitting here passively receiving all these blessings right we're saying this is what i want to do and this is where i want to be in order to receive this ultimate outcome that we're promised, right? And DNC 8210, I think is a really good description of just how empowering covenants are, where it says, I, the Lord, am bound when ye do what I say, but when ye do not what I say, ye have no promise. And so there's a lot of prophets that talk about how God does not forget people who have made covenants, He's not a respecter of persons, but those have, that have made covenants with God, like by making these promises, they are linked in an eternal way to God where if they do all that he's asked them to do, all that he's asked us to do, then we, we receive a lot more help than if we're just kind of struggling on our own, trying to do things on our own with nothing but our pride and grit and trying to push through with the empty hook to further bludgeon the <laughs> the metaphor. You know, what I find interesting about that verse is just that you have no promise if you don't, right? Like, you yeah. still can. And I think, like, a good example of that has to do with the Holy Ghost, where it's like, okay, well, the Holy Ghost is going to warn you before you do something that would mess up yeah. your life. And if you have taken upon yourself that first covenant of baptism— you have the promise that you'll feel that, right? And be able to make a much more informed choice. Yeah. If you haven't, it doesn't mean that you can't feel the Holy Spirit saying, hey, don't go there, right? But it's not something you can rely on. And that fact makes all the difference, actually. 
Yeah. To be able to rely on the words of God as opposed to just kind of hoping that he will intervene, right? Right. Because he doesn't always. <laughs> no. Like there's not going to be an angel that will come down from the sky and be like, hey, stop that. Even though that happens in the scriptures, that's not You know generally what's interesting something- though is that doesn't happen for Christ. What do you mean? Right, like... An angel telling Christ? Um, Like, on the cross where people are like, hey, send angels and, like, have them... I just think angels helping Christ is interesting, of, like, when Christ has angels with him and when he doesn't. Well, if you take the Garden of Gethsemane as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Being who he is, the Son of God, having both a mortal body but this immortal power, he, of his own free will could have ended the suffering, but he had chosen to take that upon himself. He had chosen to go through with the plan. And like Satan had mocked him when he was tempting him, he's like, make this into bread. I know you can, but Jesus chose with his own free will to go through with what he had been sent to the earth to do. He chose to go through the agony on the cross, I mean, he could have killed all of them in an instant, right? But right. like it says in the scriptures, like a lamb to the slaughter, he allowed all of that to happen because he knew it was necessary. And I think it goes back to John 3.16, where I guess what I was getting at is that God could have intervened yeah. in all of Christ's life, and yet he didn't, right? And for good reason. But that must have been so hard. Oh, yeah. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about this more later, but I think of the story of Abraham and Isaac. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, in that story, it's a lot easier to see Abraham's point of view of like, man, what a sacrifice, right? At least I see Abraham's sacrifice easier than I see Isaac's sacrifice in that. However, in the role reversal of Christ on the cross... I see his sacrifice a lot easier than I see our father's. I don't know why that is, but... Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Kind of those dual perspectives. You know what's interesting in this this same verse in D&C 82? In Spanish, the direct translation is, I, the Lord, am obligated when you do what I say. They use the word obligated, which I found interesting. Why? It's just kind of furthering, further giving the idea that if you do what God is asking you to do, he cannot go back on his word. I mean, it says bound, but I find it easier for me to think in with the word obligated as in like it's something that he's required to do. Yeah, I think it's Nephi who says that God cannot be a God of lies, otherwise he would cease to be God. Or is that Alma? I don't remember. Um, I think it's Lehi. It is Lehi, but Alma does... Does Alma talk about it as well? Yeah. Okay. Um, You know, the concept of enduring to the end actually reminded me of a story where there's... What what do you call some... Like a rich guy, right? I don't know (laughs) what you'd call him. Um, But they hired somebody, an employer maybe. They hired somebody to build them a house, right? And they said, take as much money as you need. Just build me the absolute best house that you can, right? 
Mm-hmm. And the builder, he doesn't quite. He, from my understanding, he does a fine job, right? Like, but he cuts some corners and maybe doesn't use the best material or like so on and so forth, right? Where he gave it like 60%, 70%. But when the builder comes back, he says, like, thanks for building this house. I'd like to let you have it. And I kind of think about that. As we go throughout our life, we're building our house. And we get to choose how we want it to be. We can choose the way of happiness. We can give it our all and have this wonderful house. Or we can go part way and stop, or we cannot try at all. And then we're just left with a lot. It's like, ah, frick. I don't even have a roof. Um, <laughs> just empty acres. Just the bear hook. <laughs> but the reason I think about that in terms of enduring to the end is because it's not like he didn't put in any effort, right? Right. Like he did what was necessary for it to be considered a house and probably what for it to be a pretty nice house. Yeah. I don't know all the details, but like you can interchange whatever details you want and the concept's the same. Just how that's our job is to finish out the job, right? Yeah. And it's not finished until we're taken off this earth. Yeah. I'm reminded of how we talked about the concept of grace where doing all these good works and repenting isn't paying off the debt that Christ said paid for us, right? This isn't any sort of repayment. Because if you think about it that way, it's pretty poor repayment, right? Yeah. If we think about it that way, then there's no way just by working hard and doing all that we can, it won't be enough. That's not the point of grace. The point is to satisfy the demands of justice that would have required us to pay for our sins. But then as we have this load completely lifted off, like literally, we just have to try to change, ask for forgiveness, and it couldn't be easier than that. But then we're left to work with what we have, right? With the materials, to use your analogy, and to try our very best Because if we do try our very best, trying to change continually, right, daily repentance, using the atonement, which is another gift, right? We talked about gifts that Heavenly Father, he's really given us everything we need. And that's what's really cool about the doctrine of Christ is just how many gifts there are, right? Yeah. He he shows us exactly what we need to do, right? Yeah. And he doesn't spell it out like every single decision you're going to make in your life, but he shows you where your focus needs to be, and he gives you a lot of tools to get there. And he has shown us a path to get there, right? Yeah. And the path is our covenants. The path is repenting in faith. and Yeah. Because at the end of baptism, when we are baptized, we're still using all these tools, right? The doctrine of Christ. We're still exercising faith. We're still repenting daily. We are taking the sacrament, which I don't think we talked about a whole lot, but it's basically a renewal of those baptismal covenants. It's like, okay, I tried this week. Maybe I didn't do very good in X way, but I'm going to try again. I'm going to work towards getting better in that aspect. And so it's just this endless cycle 
of making these covenants. And then later on in life with temples and even more covenants and even more blessings. And we just get all these tools and all these blessings because these are all blessings to be able to reach the greatest goal, which is to live with Heavenly Father again. Mm-hmm. And then even after all that, he gives us grace. Yeah. And it's so anyway, <laughs> it's when you look at it, it's like, man, the cards really are stacked in our favor. Yeah. And then it, Satan gets in the way and he's like, no, they're not. And it's like, what? And he, yes, they are. Like, they are. If, if you haven't already listened after this or even before this, go listen to our episode about grace because that really just makes this a lot easier to understand in my opinion because when you talk about all these expectations that we have, that can be really overwhelming, right? We're expected to forgive, to extend forgiveness, to be charitable to all people, to love everyone, including our enemies. Like we have this just whole list of things that we feel like we can't do on our own, which is true because we can't. But then we're like, okay, well, I can't do this. So what's the point in trying? But then you understand grace, you understand repentance, you understand the concept of covenants and how they bless us and enable us to reach this otherwise impossible goal. And you just, like you said, everything is prepared for our favor. Yeah, it's true. It's why God is good. It's why God is merciful. It's why all of these attributes that are seen in the scriptures that are attributed to God are there because of what you just said. And it's just awesome. The more you dive into Christ and like the scriptures and just everything that he has shown us, (laughs) the cooler it gets. Yeah. I mean, when you think about individual steps, maybe it's a lot to take in, but then he gives us a charge, right? To love God and to love our neighbor, which is everybody. And so when you try, when you start doing things out of love, then it becomes a lot easier to see the purpose and all that. Love for our Savior, and then that, from that stems the desire to do as he did. And that's a daily process. And that is why we walk with him. Body toast. Thank you for listening to us. This is Walk With Him, a podcast about Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to know more about Jesus Christ, we have a website, which is Lumiet Media, L-U-M-I-E-T, media.com. On there, you'll find stuff about us, stuff about our Savior, Jesus Christ. You'll find our socials where you can follow us and support the podcast. You can also sign up for our email list where we give you just some advice, takeaways from our episodes and experiences that we've had from the mission field. You can join that email list on our website, follow our socials, and if you could rate us, that would really help other people discover the podcast and just start their own journey towards our Savior, Jesus Christ. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Adios. Adios.